G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. What is one of those brewing controversies in the church right now? So it is an important conversation, uh, one that might be important the way we think about forgiveness for sins. When we first believe, we receive forgiveness for sins, don't we? But what about the sins in our lives every day after that point of salvation by God's grace? There are some different ways that Christians think about our sins that persist after our initial repentance. Some say all of your sins, past, present and future, have been forgiven from the moment you first believe. Others say that doesn't tell the whole story. When Jesus himself taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Is that the same as saying forgive us for our sins? Is there a difference between the sin that we inherit from Adam and the sins we commit in our lives each day? So a discussion today about sin and about sins. And our special guest talking through these issues today, Dr. Gladwin Turner, who is CEO of Australian and Asian Missions Association and missions pastor at the Southside Christian Fellowship in Sydney. He's the author of numerous books and has a ministry to more than 400 churches around the world. And a special welcome to 2020 to you, Dr. Gladwin Turner. Thank you, Neil. Pleasure to be here today. Well, Gladwin, uh, I normally talk to you on the phone, and we've had some wonderful conversations mm. now over the years. So yes. uh, pleasure to be able to unpack something like this with you, which is very, very significant. And let me come to why you're interested in this, mm. because you're leading and ministering in Chinese churches. That's correct. And there have been people in China who have shared their concerns with you about how this idea of grace and law works, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, sin and sins. Uh, tell us about what those sorts of things were that were bubbling along that yes. caused you to be concerned. Well, from my most recent trip into China, I was in Shanghai and was approached by a number of pastors, and they said, look, can you help us? Our churches are really being blown apart. We're having division over this whole understanding of grace, sin, and law, and uh, I just didn't pay a lot of attention to it at that point. I was traveling further in the country and, uh, again, conversing with different pastors, pastors and, again, was asked the same question, can you help us because of this teaching, which they had referenced as hyperfaith, um, grace uh, taken, hypergrace taken to an extreme, and uh, they said, look, it's bringing division in our churches. So I thought, well, I'll have a closer look at what is being uh, taught. And uh, I've done that. 
Now, there are a number of ministers mm. around the world, authors who've written quite extensively on this issue, yes. uh, and some of them who have fallen into what we'd call a hyper-grace camp. Yeah. And uh, and there are a lot of churches that say uh, very happily and proudly, we're a grace church. Yes. And that usually means that uh, they've got such a focus on grace mm. that there is oftentimes a way that they talk about law, which maybe perhaps isn't as healthy and perhaps not as balanced as we might like to think about the Bible. Yes, well, I, I, I picked up a, a few books uh, written by a well-known author and uh, started going through them uh, just to see exactly uh, what propositionally they were about. Uh, it created uh, some concern in me that there was a very obvious departure from orthodox theology and the understanding of sin, forgiveness, grace, and law. And so um, as a result of that and as a result of what I had seen and heard uh, in China, of all places, uh, I then wrote a, a seven-page paper which was translated into Chinese for distribution amongst the church pastors in that country. Early on when I was talking about what we discussed today, uh, I talked about things being quite tricky because the idea of hyper-grace for some appears to be license to sin. Mm. Is that the sort of symptom that the Chinese pastors had been concerned about, this idea that if you've got this major uh, imbalance to grace, that somehow or other people don't feel as though they need to conform to any moral law, which might be an image of Christ? Yeah. Uh, in fact, that nails it uh, pretty much, Neil that uh, the feeling was amongst these people having written, having rather read these books that have been translated into, into Chinese for them, uh, that there was a complete departure uh, from the salvific work of Christ at the cross and the continuing work of sanctification in the life of the believer. So... The process, as we understand it, uh, is this, that uh, sanctification is uh, in three different tenses in the uh, Greek New Testament, and uh, it is an, uh, a present continuous tense. So uh, that is an ongoing work in the life of the believer. Uh, we are sanctified when we receive Christ as Lord and Saviour. Scripture very clearly teaches that there is an ongoing process of sanctification. How does that come about? But that if a man sin, and we do, we do, we, we sin in our thought lives, we, we sin, you know, we, <laughs> with fact of the matter every day, is, every day, every day, uh, you know, we fall into some measure uh, of maybe covetousness, you know, it's there, it's out there uh, within our community and certainly within our Christian community. And so being challenged uh, by that, we need to clear the decks, as I say, with the Lord through repentance and say, Lord, forgive me, that was not a good thought. The devil throws things at you. I mean, he's very real. And with the the problem in China was that people were receiving Christ as Lord and Saviour, and then uh, with subsequent sins, they were saying, well, I don't need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for that. And the pastors are saying, hold on, that is incorrect. 
you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Uh, you know, the thing is that old habits die hard. And with new converts, if, if they have a tendency uh, to lie, sometimes that doesn't stop overnight. No liar shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. I mean, how do we confront these things then as pastors? So pastors are, are relatively confrontational. They ought to be if they have to give account to the Lord on Judgment Day for the way they've pastored. And as they were trying to bring correction into the lifestyle of people, people were getting up in arms. No, this book, you know, this book, this book says. And, uh, well, he says, well, the book of all books doesn't say that. So tension, uh, fracture of relationships, blowing apart of churches, if I can put it that way, it was... We are really starting to now just scratch the surface Mm. of where this controversy really lies. Mm. And let me take us just another step deeper, because the pastor who does say this is what the Bible teaches Mm. about sin, about confession, about your need to, as you say, clear the decks. Yes. Oftentimes, by someone who is influenced by this idea of hyper-grace, Yep. That pastor is accused of being judgmental yes. and of being a preacher of law. And when we think of we're under grace, not under law, sometimes people can think that somehow or other that pastor who's drawing attention to the need for confession and uh, and of addressing sins somehow or other is... Is not on the right page. Uh, this is this is where the controversy is, isn't it? It is, and it's in the supposition, uh, Neil. That and uh, uh, let me uh, read a statement from one of the uh, the books that I have read, uh, where this particular writer says, "All your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven when you come to Christ." So, future sin is taken back to the cross. It's already forgiven. So you don't have to ask for personal forgiveness. That is a major issue, and it and it pivots very much upon that. Okay, how do we uh, talk about a biblical position? Is there a simple way of talking about that? Because I, I imagine if it was simple, we'd be able to point to a verse or two and say this is the absolute biblical teaching. Uh, but there obviously uh, there are uh, positions that people who hold a hyper grace uh, position would hold to with their uh, verses. This is where it's controversial, isn't it? It and, is uh, controversial. Uh, but what they do is they counter that argument by normally referencing, and, and this is quite common through the hyper grace movement. They reference one John, and particularly they say that one John one uh, verse nine is not mandated upon. A Christian. All right. So we we don't have to therefore confess of our sins at that point of time because one John one nine they say was not written for Christians. It was specifically written for Gnostics. Now I have a real problem with that. Okay, because later on in 1 John, uh, the reference is that this is a, a letter written to Christians. And so you can't separate out and say, uh, while there might have been Gnostic influence, uh, that somehow or other chapter 1 isn't for the Christians. Well, you see, what they say is that 1 John was written specifically for Gnostics. Now, I have an issue there. Uh, 
you know, from a, a perspective of uh, what was happening in the life of the church at that time, as recorded by the historian Eusebius, who references Polycarp, who knew John, who actually wrote the gospel. I mean, sorry, the epistle. So it's interesting, as you come through the first chapter of 1 John, uh, what we see is John is saying, we, 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 down to, I think it is verse 9 of chapter 2, where he, he starts talking about they, they, they. And then he raises the issue of what the real problem was. The real problem was that there'd been a, di- there'd been a hiatus in the church as far as doctrine is concerned. There'd been a di- division in the church. And that division was the result of Jesus being incarnate and Jesus being God. You see, uh, that in actual fact is what we call docetism. Docetism taught, and it was a a problem in the early church uh, towards the end of the first century, docetism, in actual fact, believes that divinity and human flesh cannot coexist because of the corruption within human flesh. So it wasn't Gnosticism that uh, John was addressing there. It was docetism. So they're wrong there. Now, they say that it was written to Gnostics. That's why there is no... Uh, title at the commencement of that, like you see in two, uh, the second John and third John, where one was written to Gaius and the other written, of course, to the elect elder of this church. So, but it, as uh, Polycarp says, and Eusebius records, that epistle was written for general circulation amongst the churches, hence not addressed to a specific individual or group of people. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, an opportunity to unpack one of those brewing controversies which clearly, as we've heard, is causing some significant issues. And we might not recognise those issues as clean-cut here in Australia, but when we're hearing complaints from Chinese pastors about what's coming out of the West or Western thinking about what might be called hyper-grace. It's worthy of us to take a little bit of time to check in on some of the issues that are uh, here being in play. Uh, Our special guest is Dr Gladwin Turner. He's the CEO of Australian and Asian Missions Association and Missions Pastor at the Southside Christian Fellowship in Sydney. Uh, Let's take some calls, Gladwin. Let's first of all hear from Val in Mackay. Hello, Val. Welcome along. Hello. Val, what are your thoughts on our conversation today? Well, it's a big subject, and it's very hard to adequately cover it. However, I believe that my sins are forgiven, uh, past, present, and future. There's only one sacrifice for sins. Um, but we do have to come and say sorry to our father. Uh, when you do the wrong thing as a child, you come and say sorry, mum, or sorry, dad. You do have to come and say sorry. Um, but if you've had a, a real revelation, you don't want to sin. There's a principle in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think, 3.18 that says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image. So if you've had a, a real revelation, 
that revelation changes you and you don't want to sin. Um, I think it has to be taught very carefully because if you just tell people and it's just a head knowledge thing, uh, then you're in danger of, of them just thinking, I can do what I like, I'm forgiven. Val, that is very insightful. And let's get a response from uh, Dr. Gladwin Turner. Gladwin, what are your thoughts for Val? Yes, in many ways, uh, Val, I agree with what you're saying there. Um, I don't have an issue with the fact that all sins, past, present and future, are in the cross. The problem is that uh, the, the scriptures that are used in relation to a person not having to ask for forgiveness if they sin past their uh, experience at uh, receiving Christ as Lord and Saviour is that he has offered his body one sacrifice for all time. Now, that is an actual fact, uh, a fulfilment of the law in Jesus offering himself. It doesn't refer uh, to a person's ongoing misdemeanors or sinful behaviour should he fall into such uh, having received Christ as Lord and Saviour. So one sacrifice for the remission of sin? Definitely. One body offered for the remission of sin? Definitely. Wouldn't have an issue there. That's what Hebrew teaches. But the book of Hebrews has to de- is dealing with um, the fulfillment of Christ of the Old Testament sacrifices. Therefore, it is one body offered once and for all time for the remission of our sins. So uh, it's it's inappropriate uh, to say, therefore, that all my sins are covered hinged upon that particular scripture because that's not the context of it. And I, I have read that in many of the books, the hypergrace books that are circulating currently. Val from Mackay, thank you so much for your input. Uh, one thing just before we take another call, Gladwin, uh, what Val appeared mm. to be indicating was yes. that this separation from God that comes when there is unconfessed sin may not be the fact that the sins are not covered by the blood of Christ. Mm. Uh, This idea of a separation of intimacy. So we fall out of intimacy. And so that confession of sins restores uh, relationship, but Mm. it actually isn't going to affect us if we're knocked over by a bus uh, on the way uh, to to where we're heading today. I mean, (laughs) because, you know, and oh, I haven't had my time of confession. What, What are your thoughts along those lines? Look, uh, I believe that uh, we need to keep short accounts with God. Uh, Look, the devil is real. He does come. He does tempt Christians. And uh, look, uh, as I see and as I travel and as I look at what is happening in the body of Christ, there are many people who do not have, they, they understand the head knowledge that Christ has died for their sins. They move on that under the unction of the Holy Spirit to make a confession of sin. But this is where pastoral work comes in and discipleship in the life of the believer to school the person in the word of God so that a person knows exactly. He can be convicted of sin. He can know that the Holy Spirit is saying that's wrong, but not know why it's wrong. And so this whole process of discipleship is a continuum on from receiving, from a person receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why we're told in the Great Commission to go and make disciples. A a person becomes a discipleship through just not only the revelation of God, 
becomes a, becomes a disciple through instruction in the Word of God. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Lee in Cardwell in North Queensland. Hello, Lee. Welcome along. Thanks, Neil and Dr. Gladwin. Uh, really interesting subject today, isn't it? It is. Uh, I've got a uh, question about the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and then a hypothetical for you, Dr. Gladwin. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> do you. Do you believe that when at the end of Galatians uh, 19, Paul says, those who live in this manner will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, do you believe that, that inheritance refers to ruling and reigning with Christ because uh, that group of people has missed the mark? Or do you think it uh, refers to salvation is cancelled? Uh, you're referring to Galatians 5, verse 19, I take it? You just said yes. Galatians 19. 519, yes. 519, okay. Yeah, look, uh, very clearly what is articulated in that passage of Scripture are works of the flesh as contrasted against works of the Spirit. Um, a person who falls into the works of the flesh and is unrepentant, I believe if they have been a Christian, then there is no eternal uh, life for them. Salvation cancelled. Salvation cancelled. Okay. Even if, for example, a, uh, a saved person goes out on the town on Saturday night, gets drunk with some, some friends, a bit of immorality, perhaps some anti, anti-Christ uh, language, mm. uh, and they die suddenly in an accident without the opportunity or not having confessed their sin before their death. You believe that that would cancel out their salvation? I believe so, yes. Um, I don't believe in the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Unfortunately, I have met too many people who have come to a salvific knowledge, what I would say a salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ, years later. I mean, my wife and I, in our early years of ministry, we took in many drug addicts and people into our home. We saw them rehabilitated only years later to walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ, call girls, you name it, go back into that lifestyle and uh, constantly in that lifestyle today. Um, Did they have a revelation of Jesus? Yes. Were they saved at that point? I have no doubt in that because their life changed. But something else happened later in life that took them away. So experientially, but also... Um, you know, Hebrews 6 says that, you know, for those who were once saved and enlightened and have tasted of the Holy Spirit, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Now, let me just say that the tenses there are in a present continuous tense, so they don't come to a point of salvation again. I just need to make that very clear. Thank you so much to Lee from Cardwell in North Queensland. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Time for a quick call. Robin is in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Just a couple of minutes to news. What are your thoughts? Yes, hi. That's going to be difficult. <clears throat> um, I agree with <clears throat> I agree with everything that's been said now, and I agree with you, Doctor um, Gladwin, that um, um, I don't believe that once saved. Well, look at Judas. Judas was with Jesus. He. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was actually ministering with the other apostles and he definitely um, turned against him. But um, my heart is, I mean, we're actually working, walking a life of faith 
So there's a ditch on either side. You can fall into the works of the flesh by the law or you can fall the other way into licentiousness. Both are wrong and both of them are of the flesh. So we're really, really, as, as you said before, the relationship with the Lord himself is the key. And as what was said, is if we, if we love the Lord and we're walking with him, when we, when we do wrong, we are going to uh, confess our sins and repent mm. because that's the life of a Christian. You can't have it any other way. Robin, I'll catch you short uh, for a quick response from Gladwin before we go to news. Yes, well, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Simple as, all right, it comes out of that heart relationship with Christ as our personal Lord and Saviour. That's what it's all about. But some people's hearts grow hard over the years. For some reason or other, disappointments occur in church life and disappointments with family, with pastors. You know, it happens. People walk away. Gladwin, before we take another call, the Southside Christian Fellowship, this is a church you were leading in Sydney for as long as 40 years. Yes. So we're giving away a little (laughs) bit of your maturity and age here. Uh, These days you're released from day-to-day ministry role within the church and you concentrate on as many as 400 churches that relate to you around the world. Yes, it's closer to 600 actually. 600. Yeah. Mm. I'll update my official <laughs> That's figures. That's all right. <laughs> it's not a problem. Um, but you know, we're getting the sh- getting a lot of curly uh, questions, of course, as we travel in throughout Asia. And now, mm. and we mentioned that this controversy was presented to you by Chinese pastors. That's correct. Uh, is it just the Chinese that are concerned about this issue of hyper grace, or does this extend to other nations? Well. Many of the books, of course, China is a big market. People don't realise there's 130 million Christians there today. That's government statistics, not mine. All right, I haven't got personally out there and counted everyone. But um, certainly in places like Myanmar where we're working, it's not an issue. India, it's becoming an issue, all right, because uh, most Indians are conversant in uh, English, certainly the educated ones, and so they're starting to say, hey, there's something wrong here. There's something not quite right. It's not as we understand the Bible. It's not as we've learnt in seminary. So, um, yeah, it's it's raising its head there. All right, let's continue to take some calls. And uh, as you might imagine, uh, the phone lines have lit up this morning on this issue. Let's hear from Alex in Essendon in Victoria. Hello, Alex. Welcome along. Hello there. Yes, um it's very, it emphasizes the, the, the need for us to really study the Word of God and not other literature and, and uh, uh, really get into the Word of God. For instance, um, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, speaks, uh, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come. So that was... That's what we're living in right now, and it's uh, and and when we uh, read about the uh, the seven churches, there's five out of the seven churches where clearly uh, Jesus clearly says to repent, and even um, the church of Sardis um, it says to repent, and then he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not. Blot out his name out of the book. Alex, good reference to some scriptures there. Let's get a response from Gladwin. Alex, you're absolutely right. Uh, In actual fact, nine times the word is repent 
the word repent occurs uh, in referencing the seven churches. So if churches are called to repentance, come on. As individuals, who do the, who do the churches comprise? Individuals like you and me. Thank you to Alex from Essendon. Let's see if we can get through a few calls. Wayne is in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Wayne. Welcome along. Yeah, how are you? Very well, Wayne. What are your thoughts on our conversation? Yeah, well, I'm a great believer in um, the, the forgiven past, present and future, but I also believe that, as the word says, that we're still to confess our sins. He knows we're going to mess up. Yeah. And uh, he's put that word in there for it. And yes. uh, as you do it, he says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, for there to be no condemnation, there has to be the forgiveness. You have to ask forgiveness to start with. Um, but there's one scripture in the Bible there, and I'll get to go through to the grace of God there. It would do. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a man either side. And one ridiculed him, the other one said, you know, we deserve what we've got, but this man's done nothing. And Jesus said to him, I'll see you in paradise. Mm-hmm. And yet, how does that how does that go? That man never, I'm not saying I disagree with it. I, I believe wholeheartedly that you, you need to ask for forgiveness. Wayne, let's get some thoughts from Gladwin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the scripture says that um, the hearts of all men were known to Jesus. He knew the heart of that man that was uh, beside him on the cross, the one that he spoke to and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, understand also that there's different ways of interpreting that because in the Greek text there's no commas. <laughs> you know, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, or I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So at any rate, that's just an aside. Okay. The thing is that the proponents of the uh, hypergrace theory, um, just let me give you a couple of quotes uh, one, one quote from one book, you will never be held liable for your sins ever again. That's once you receive Christ as Lord and Saviour. I don't see that as, as uh, being taught in Scripture. Um, and uh, another quote, we don't need to ask the Lord for forgiveness because he's already forgiven us. I, I have issues with both of those two statements, which are from the hypergrace movement. Thank you so much to Wayne from Mackay. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Before we take another call, Gladwin, let me just bring you to one of those very important issues that hopefully will bring some clarification here. Mm. Because if we talk about uh, unconfessed sin, Mm. uh, facing the judgment of God for that, uh, how far... Uh, and how quickly do you think, because this is the the issue here, is how we think about God, mm-hmm. is God waiting with a big stick, ready to jump out from behind a bush and uh, whip people around the back with a, with a judgmental, you know, some people have this image I of know. God, don't they, as a really judgmental God. And, and for people who hold to the sort of position we're talking about today, sometimes that's the image that gets bandied about. How do you think about uh, God as being compassionate and gracious and merciful, and yet he's going to hold to account those sins that we might have not unconfessed. Yes, look, I see God as loving. I see him as compassionate. I don't see him as waiting for us to trip up and then hit us over the head with a bit of four but twice, four but two from heaven. That's not my concept of God. My concept of God is um, very much like the Father waiting for his son 
his delinquent son to return. He's out there. He's looking. He's looking for us to admit that we have made a mistake, that we have defiled our inheritance as that young man had done and then come home. What about this idea of uh, unconfessed sins uh, or sins that we didn't really mean to commit, no, we were committing, and then the idea of those deliberate sins that that almost, uh, you know, uh, give God the, the backhander and say, oh, I'm not going to worry about what you've got to say. Yeah. There's a scripture in Acts that just comes to mind. I can't think of the reference at the moment, Neil, which says in the days of our ignorance, he winked at that. I think that, you know, post our encounter with Christ, that sometimes we sin ignorantly. We're only held accountable for that which we know is sin. But we also need to understand that when we sin knowingly and deliberately, the Holy Spirit is also at work as well. And intrinsically what I have found is that people know they're tripping up but are unfamiliar as yet with the Word of God. They feel bad about it. And again, I come back to the necessity of discipleship. You know, we're called to the Great Commission. I'm a commissioned person. We're called to make disciples. Part of that discipleship process is leading them on from that encounter for them to understand the nature of the commitment which they have made to Christ Jesus. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Mick in Woodridge in Queensland. Hello, Mick. Welcome along. Hi, mate. How are you? Very well, Mick. What are your thoughts on our conversation? Um, well... I'm I'm enjoying it, and uh, of course I love the Word of God and everything's about that. But the main thing on my heart that made me call in was the the comment that if someone had gone wayward and had died that night, there is no scriptural base that they would um, would be lost to God because we cannot be taken out of His hand. And in that sense, I have that experience of a time when I was prodigal and I had a car accident and I was in a coma for four and a half days. Now, in that coma, I was cared for in a waiting room, is the best way to describe it, um, of heaven. And it was a glorious place. Now, I came back and since then I've, I've repented and I've come back to the Lord and, and he's my life and being. But at that time of the car accident, he was not, even though I had accepted him years earlier. Okay, let's get some thoughts from Gladwin Turner. I, I think the key to what you're saying is that when you came out of that coma, you repented. So, you know, there was something that you were aware of post-coma that uh, you knew things weren't right, that you needed to make yourself right with God. The mere fact that you said that uh, basically endorses what I'm saying here that there is a situation that comes when we know we're not right. But if we continue travelling down that road and such an event occurs and you're taken out, you can't repent post-death. There is no provision, as I see in the Word of God, for that. Mick from Woodridge, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line is open. Let's hear from James in Adelaide. Hello, James. Welcome along. Hello. Hey, James, what are your yeah, thoughts? So my thoughts are, and I'm not going to be an advocate one way or the other, I've just got a simple question that I'd like thoughts back on, is that if we're 
if we're given forgiveness of sins because of our sin nature, and we continue sinning every day not realising it, at what gauge or at what point, who's to gauge what sins we've got as to whether or not we go to heaven? If you can lose your salvation, then do we, Then to what point does it come that we're in fear of losing our salvation instead of living in grace? An important question. Yeah. Your thoughts, Gladwin? Yeah, look, um, I think that for many of us, we do understand that we have the Holy Spirit within us. And, and let's not forget the activity of the Spirit. I know that when people are sinning, there is a convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he ascended into heaven, I'll send one unto you, you know, like unto myself. The Spirit, he shall guide you into all truth. What truth is that? It's the truth of the word of God. I believe it's mandated upon believers that if they are continuing to sin, to respond to the activity of the Spirit in their lives. And uh, what I'm, in essence, what I'm saying here, yes, there, there is a point of ignorance. But if you're being convicted about something that you're doing, uh, I believe you move over from ignorance to an awareness that God is in actual fact speaking to you and there is something you need to do about that in an investigative way. Thank you so much to James from Adelaide for your input. Uh, just before we take another call or two, uh, this idea of conviction and mm. condemnation, they're, yes. they're very different, aren't they? They most definitely Because are. if we have conviction from the Holy Spirit about a sin in our lives, that's not necessarily the same as coming under condemnation from God. How do you describe that when you're discussing these things, yeah. Gladwin? Well, condemnation is a legal jurisprudence term. Uh, it is as the result of a activity which a person has done that mandates a specific punishment upon them. And so what when Paul says we're under no condemnation, he's talking about the condemnation of death. Here. So we need to understand that uh, that is a sentence. We're no longer under the sentence of condemnation because we've moved from the legal understanding of law into grace. So a person is still living uh, at that point under under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take a call. Ross is in Western Australia. Hello, Ross. Welcome along. Thanks for having me. Ross, which town are you in? Um, I'd rather not say. I'm okay. in the Central Wheat Belt. All right, in the Central Wheat Belt. What? Okay. What's your? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, do you have a question? Um, yeah. Just the first thing is that I don't believe that I have the right to judge anybody because they may give their heart to Jesus in their dying last breaths. So that's number one. The other one is um, I'd like to hear the doctor's view regarding tattoos. Um, I've got quite a few scriptural tattoos and I'm quite excited about them and it's created quite a bit of conversation with the people that see them. A very quick response, because uh, a little bit off track there, but uh, your thoughts for Ross? Whilst there's life, there's hope. So, I mean, I've seen many uh, deathbed uh, decisions for the Lord. I've seen many deathbed repentances and believe you me, the grace of God is there for them to repent. They have eternal life. 
that answers that one. And what about the tattoos? Just very quickly, because it's a little bit off track. Yeah. Well, you've got to understand that the Levitical law in relation to tattoos, that that was specifically uh, or specifically relates to tribal practices, ancient tribal practices, where the tattoos were representative of their god. I think that one has to exercise wisdom as far as tattoos are concerned in this day. There are many tattoos that uh, I have seen of skulls and all sorts of things on people. I have people in my own church that, you know, have Jesus tattoos. Um, You know, that's a a proclamation to whom they're serving and whom they love. I would pass no judgment on on that. But I think that one has to exercise wisdom, uh, particularly, too, as some employers uh, out there in the workplace today do not like people with tattoos. They just don't. There's a prejudice in the marketplace. And uh, I've known of people not employing suitably qualified people for a job simply because they had tats. So I hope that just answers that one adequately for you. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Dr. Gladwin Turner is our guest. We're talking about sin. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about one of those issues that has created all sorts of waves around the world, and it's entitled hyper-grace. It's not a terminology you get from the Scriptures, but something that has emerged out of a teaching that says, in some sense, uh, you are once saved, always saved, and no need at all to approach repentance and need for forgiveness if your sins are already forgiven. Well, that's been challenged on today's program. We are going to put a line under the call, so thank you to everyone who has called in through the hour. And uh, for those that have been waiting on the line, we won't be able to take your call. Just a couple of minutes remaining in our conversation. Gladwin, how can we end on a high note here? Uh, or on a note that will actually bring some loose ends together. The idea that there are different types of law in the Old Testament, mm. uh, but the moral law still stands, and how we understand that in relation to this grace that we live under in Christ. Yeah. Look, that that's very important because the New Testament does not teach that all the law was abrogated through uh, the death of Jesus Christ. Let me make it very clear. The Old Testament law falls into three categories. There's the moral law, there's the civil law, and the ceremonial law. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. Paul makes it very, very clear in Romans 13, we're to obey civil law. You know, that's our mandated upon us as Christians, that we live a good, sound life before others and as a witness to others that we are adherents to the law. Um, now then, as far as the uh, commandments are concerned, the moral law, Jesus fulfilled the moral law in every aspect, yes. But does the moral law still stand? This is an issue because most in the hyper-grace field will say, no, we don't need the moral law any longer. But, you know, uh, Jesus made it very clear in the summary of the moral law when he says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus has done there is he's taken the first four commandments of the ten, which are towards our Heavenly Father, the last six, which are towards our fellow man, and has summarized them. That law is now hidden in our hearts. And this is what Ezekiel the prophet promised, that there would come a day when he would hide the law in our hearts through his Spirit. 
So that's where our conviction of sin comes from. It comes from the moral law. The moral law still stands. If the moral law didn't stand, there'd be no conviction of sin. So how do you know that you're a sinner at all if you don't understand that there is a moral law? So we can't just do away with it. We can't just ignore the Old Testament. The moral law still stands. And as you say, uh, those things are represented by Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, some people will talk about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' reiteration of so many of the aspects of the moral law. And so uh, we can't ignore the moral law because that is what educates us to what sin is. So for those uh, who are concerned about uh, grace, this idea of hypergrace, you can't even understand hypergrace without understanding the law in the first place. Absolutely. And, I mean, if we're to make disciples of men, how are we to disciple them but through the moral law. That's How right. How are we to make followers of Jesus Christ because he fulfilled that? We are to fulfill that which he fulfilled in our lives by the demonstration of our lives before our fellow men. That's what makes Christians different. Gladwin Turner, we have run out of time, but it has been a very, very good uh, conversation this hour. And for some, it will have raised more questions. Uh, for some, and uh, not trying to be controversial and uh, and uh, sow seeds of any discontent, but for some, they'll be concerned about some of the things they've understood and might need to go back to the Scriptures to have a, a look at some of those things more carefully. Is your uh, any of your writings about this topic available for anyone online? Is there uh, we, any links? I have a, a, a seven-page paper. It's about to be put up. The, I was waiting for the translation to be done for into Chinese before I made it available. But I've been asked uh, for this paper by numerous people who have found out subsequent <laughs> to my writing. Okay, so, now we're talking yeah. about it uh, here on 2020. So yeah. I will point people to... Uh, the website for the Southside Church there in Sydney, uh, southside.org.au. Now, is that the best place for people to get a link to the books that you've written, uh, yeah. to find out about the sort of work that you do? Yes. Southside.org.au. So I'll point listeners to that, and before too long, uh, there'll be a uh, an opportunity to uh, to get a hold of that that article. The other website, of course, is AAMA. .org.au, and that stands for the, Austra- uh, the Australian and Asian Minis- uh, Missions Association. Australian and Asian Missions Association. Yeah. Uh, Gladwin Turner, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure being with you in the studio today. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.